Chapter Two of Miss Philura's Wedding Gown by Florence Morse Kingsley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. All the world is said to love a lover, but there are ifs and buts, and sundry exceptions to this as to every other sweeping statement of a more or less general truth. For example, Miss Electa Pratt, engaged in wringing out her dishcloth with hard twists of her bony fingers felt no soft emotions of affection welling up in her virgin bosom as she caught sight of Philura Rice hurrying past the house, her small figure bent against the roaring wind that swept the fallen leaves into miniature whirlpools and lashed the leafless branches overhead. Miss Philura was clutching at her hat-brim with one shabbily gloved hand, and it was this fact, simple and natural as it was, which brought Miss Pratt into the maternal presence, placidly engaged in knitting out of blue wool what she was pleased to term a fascinator. The fascinator in question was intended for the sole use of Elector, but the fact did not soften the asperity of that lady's tones, as she said, If there ain't Philura Rice a hanging on to that hat of hern for dear life. You don't say, Electy, observed Mrs. Pratt to the busy tune of her needles, well now i guess the wind's a-blowing some this morning ain't it i've been listening to it roaring down the chimbley it reminds me of the day your pa passed away mrs pratt was considered perversely charitable by her daughter who was in the habit of telling everybody that ma was failing right along and that since her last annual attack of grief she wasn't quite right in her mind i'd laugh if those feathers of hers got carried away said mr lecter vindictively it would serve her right forgetting the minister away from you i suppose said the old lady but land i don't think he'd have thought of such a thing as marrying you elected there you go again ma cried miss pratt justly incensed how many times have i got to tell you that i wouldn't marry silas pettibone not if he was the last man on earth now you hear me ma pratt and don't you dast say anything like that miss puffer if she runs in or to anybody else the idea mrs pratt was counting stitches knit ten purl five she murmured did you say you was going down to the post office daughter to get the best idea uh, yes ma replied miss elector aware of the value of a change of thought if miss puffer or miss buckthorn come in tell him i won't be gone ten minutes i'll bring you some peppermints if you she had almost said if you'll be good but a glance into the meek softly wrinkled old face deterred her somehow mother's awful contrary lately she cogitated as she hurried down the street bent upon overtaking the wind-swept figure of miss philura oh, she's going to the store said miss pratt under her breath and she hurried faster than before just why she so strongly desired to see with her own eyes what philura rice was about to purchase at george trimmer's dry goods emporium doubtless with a view to her approaching marriage 
Elector Pratt could not possibly have told, but the desire was there, and it urged her on. However, she was doomed to disappointment. Miss Philura emerged from the shop just as her friend Miss Pratt came abreast of it, serene and smiling, and carrying in one hand a small, a very small parcel. Good morning, Elector, was Miss Philura's greeting, but she seemed disposed to hurry away in the opposite direction. Miss Pratt linked herself to the bride-elect with prompt decision. My, I haven't seen you for an age, she began. I've been over to your house twice lately, when I was most sure you was home, and rang and rang. Miss Philura blushed guiltily. On one of those occasions, she and Mr. Pettibone had been snugly ensconced behind the geraniums in her little parlour, and Mr. Pettibone had, she blushed a deeper pink to think of it, merely tightened the clasp of his arm about her waist and remarked, It's Elector Pratt. We don't want to see her. Let her ring. It had seemed almost irreligious to Miss Fulura. Never in her life had she dared to disobey that peremptory summons. But she had sat quite still while the bell jangled spitefully under Elector's determined hand. I was most sure I saw the minister go into your house not ten minutes before, went on Miss Pratt. I was over to Miss Buckthorn's and we both saw him. Mm, murmured Miss Philura, or perhaps perhaps my doorbell you needn't bother to tell another lie to me philura rice intoned miss pratt another what do you mean elector i never said one word about it to you before said miss pratt firmly but i'm going to now do you remember telling me you was engaged to be married last spring just after you came back from visiting your relations in Boston? Miss Fulura drew a deep sigh. I would rather not talk about it, Elector. I... you wouldn't understand. Oh, wouldn't I? retorted Miss Pratt. Well, I can try, anyhow. We was coming out of church. It was the Sunday you first come out in that new suit of yours and that hat with feathers. I shouldn't think you'd want to wear em out in a wind like this. They look all frazzled out. Miss Fulura straightened herself. If these feathers are spoiled, I can have others, she said. Miss Pratt cackled derision. <laughs> That's just the way you talk before, she said. I says to you, everybody says you've had money left to you and that you're going to get married i says and you says i've got all the money i need you says and i'm engaged to be married miss philura's blue eyes gazed almost defiantly into elector pratt's green ones well she said i know i said it it was true every word true a singular radiance overspread her delicate face, transfiguring it for a moment into beauty. Do you mean to tell me you was engaged to be married to Mr. Pettibone when you said that to me, Philura Rice? Be careful. You went to see Mr. Pettibone afterward and told him what I said. 
returned Miss Philura unexpectedly. And he, he said it wasn't so. Miss Pratt threw up her chin aggressively. And what's more, your cousin Van Duser said it wasn't so. She said you didn't have any money left you and that you weren't going to be married. So there. Miss Philura pondered, her eyes upon the small paper parcel in her hand. Then she turned suddenly, almost breathlessly upon the spinster, whose attitude and expression reminded her irresistibly of Mortimer's at the moment of pouncing upon an unlucky mouse. Elector, she said tremulously, you aren't very happy, are you? Happy, echoed Miss Pratt. Happy? Me? I'd like to know what that's got to do with your telling me... It's got everything to do with it, said Miss Fuliora. If you'd only understand. But I'm afraid you wouldn't, even if I... That's the second time you've said that, remarked Miss Pratt acidly. When it comes to understanding, I guess I'm pretty near as smart as some other folks I could mention. Oh, I know I'm not clever at all, Elector. I didn't mean that. Well, what did you mean? I'd really like to hear what you've got to say for yourself. And I ain't the only one you'll find. There's plenty of folks that's as much in the darks as I be. The cat-like gleam in Miss Pratt's eyes was lost on Miss Flora, who was wondering if she ought to lay bare the wonderful secret which she bore about enshrined in her inmost heart like a jewel of price. After all, was not Electa like her lonely, unhappy self of half a year ago? And had she any right to withhold the certainty of happiness from Electa? Miss Pratt licked her lips. Don't hesitate to speak right out, Philura, she said acidly. How anybody would dare to say they was engaged before the man proposed is what beats me. Miss Fuliora was gazing at her parcel. It was because, because he was in the encircling good, Elector. I knew I was going to be married because I believed. But I didn't, I didn't know. Miss Pratt stared. He was in the what? she demanded. What in the world are you talking about? Miss Fuliora experienced a wild desire to run away. Some other time, Elector, she murmured. If you could only hear Mrs. Smart lecture, you might do that, you know. I, I can't explain. If you don't want me to think you're raving crazy, Philura Rice, you'll explain, as you call it, this minute. Miss Philura turned her face away from her inquisitor. It appeared more and more impossible to tell Elector Pratt about the all-encircling good. And yet, it was her duty. She had been brought face to face with it. She was almost ashamed to remember at that moment a verse about pearls and swine. You are not... One acquires the habit of thinking aloud during years of solitude. She had almost said, You are not a swine, Elector. I'm nobody's fool, if that's what you mean, Philora, Miss Pratt observed appositely. I know you're not, Elector, Miss Philura agreed eagerly. 
and then she gathered courage. When I was in Boston, I went with cousin Caroline Van Duser to hear a lecture at the Ontological Club, and, <laughs> sniffed Miss Pratt, it was all about the encircling good. God, all is God, and God is all, quoted Miss Fuliora. I had never thought of such a thing, Electa. It always seemed to me God was up high, somewhere, and that he was always displeased with everything I did. But in the lecture, I found out that I was mistaken. God is so kind, so generous. If we just ask him for what we want, and then believe that we have, why, it is ours already. And you believed all that stuff, Philura Rice? And you a church member? It's in the Bible, said Miss Philura stoutly. It's true, all true. Miss Pratt was engaged in the purely rational process of putting two and two together. She arrived presently at the correct result. I begin to see, she observed with carefully veiled sarcasm, you thought you'd like some fine new clothes and a husband, so you... Oh, Elector, I'm so glad I told you. You do understand, don't you? It's so beautiful, so wonderful. Miss Pratt snorted with mingled rage and amazement. <laughs> Quite wonderful, I should remark, and so simple. But I don't see yet how you caught the parson. Miss Philura looked up swiftly. You're, you're making fun of God, she said brokenly. Oh, I wish I hadn't told you. Miss Pratt burst into a short, dry laugh. I never heard of such nonsense in all my life, she cried. It's downright wicked, that's what it is. You ought to be put out of the church instead of setting up as a minister's wife. The idea of talking such stuff and actually believing it. It's in the Bible, said Miss Philura weakly. And the wind snatched the words and carried them away like dead leaves. There's nothing about silk petticoats and ostrich feathers and getting engaged in my Bible, retorted Miss Pratt, her reddened nose uplifted in chaste protest to an outraged heaven. I'm sure I don't know what Elder Trimmer and Deacon Scrimger and Miss Deaconess Buckthorn and, oh, I was going to say our pastor, does he know what you heard in that wicked club? Miss Philura was not a very astute person, but for once she couldn't help seeing the drift of Elector Pratt's remarks. Mr. Pettibone, she said firmly, is not in any way responsible for my interpretations of the Bible. Then, having reached her own corner, she parted from Miss Pratt with an air of dignity and decision, which only partly hid her real perturbation of spirit. The grey cat, Mortimer, arose from the doorstep where he had been awaiting her return and stretched his sinewy fur-clad limbs. His green eyes grew greedily wide as he spied the parcel in his mistress's hand. 
Oh, no, Morty, dear, said Miss Philura. It isn't meat. Then her anxious face brightened as she remembered the plump chicken, the eggs and butter reposing in the kitchen cupboard. It was only yesterday, she murmured, that I was wondering, no, thinking about our dinner, Morty, and I mentioned it to God, just mentioned it, because you know our Father knoweth that we have need of all these things. She lifted the big cat in her thin little arms. You shall have a chicken wing today, Morty, she whispered in his furry ear. Mortimer purred loudly, quite as if he understood. Then it was that Miss Philura noticed the bunch of white chrysanthemums laid against the door. She lifted them, a wistful pink staining her cheeks. Nowhere except in the parsonage gardens did chrysanthemums grow in such snowy perfection. He has been here, was her unspoken thought, a swift wonder crowding her regret as she remembered that it was Saturday, the day the minister always spent alone in his study. When she had arranged her flowers in water, she sat down by the table and gazed at them almost breathlessly. No one in Innisfield, not even the minister, suspected the shy, still current of poetic feeling in Miss Fleura's nature. She couldn't possibly have put it into words, but something in the ivory white of the curving petals lapped softly one above the other, hiding a heart of gold, spoke to her of herself. All summer long, while Rose and Hollyhock and a host of lesser blooms had flaunted gaily in the sunshine, the chrysanthemums had spread their dark foliage in an obscure corner, with no hint of bloom. But now... She leaned forward and touched the flowers with her lips. They are beautiful, even if it is almost winter, she murmured. Then she opened the paper bag she had brought from the Trimmer Emporium and took out four spools of white silk thread and set them in a row before the flowers. Why shouldn't I? she asked of the surrounding silence. Then, diligently, like the woman in the parable, she searched the nooks and corners of her memory for the exact words she had heard at the ontological club. The unseen good surrounds us on every side, she said aloud. It presses upon us, more limitless, more inexhaustible than the air we breathe. In the encircling good is already provided a lavish abundance. A lavish abundance, Miss Filiora paused to take breath, of everything one can possibly want. Desire itself is God, good, love, knocking at the door of your understanding. It is impossible for you to desire anything that is not already your own. Yet like every other wondrous mystery in all the world, this unseen abundance, this all-encircling good, must be sought in the right way. It was a magic door, requiring the magic key for its unlocking. Miss Filiora gazed at the four white spools and the white flowers, so lately emerged from the unseen into exquisite visibility. 
Oh, God, she prayed, I should like a white wedding dress, white like the chrysanthemums. And after a breathless little pause, she added, Thank you, God. With closed eyes, she beheld the as yet invisible wedding garment. White with the creamy whiteness of flower petals closing softly over a heart of gold. Very simple it was, yet rich and smooth, textured like the blossoms that come just before the snow. That evening, when the Reverend Silas Pettibone, having conscientiously completed two discourses, treating respectively of sanctification by faith and the state of the lost after death, came to call upon Miss Philura, as was his right and privilege. He found that little lady deep in the task of ripping the black and purple gown. Um, what do you intend to do with that, um, brocade? asked Mr. Pettibone, searching successfully in a disused corner of his theological mind for a proper name for the stuff which lay in heavy folds across Miss Philura's lap. The Reverend Silas Pettibone had kind, though very tired-looking brown eyes, and the dark hair above his forehead was streaked with grey. Miss Philura secretly considered him the very acme of masculine good looks. A hint of her opinion shone in her demure face as she made answer. Cousin Van Duser sent it to me for a wedding dress. Do you think it pretty? Mr. Pettibone surveyed the stuff with a new interest. He took a fold of it between an inexperienced finger and thumb. Um, it appears, he said cautiously, to be very durable. Oh, yes, agreed Miss Fuliora. I think it will wear for a long time, and it's lined with beautiful black taffeta. I can make two dresses and a coat out of it. Hmm murmured the minister noncommittally, gazing at the large black leaves on their purple background, and striving in his imperfect masculine way to picture to himself the small figure of Miss Fuliora panoplied in such a vesture. It was very, very kind of Mrs. Van Duser to provide for the... he began in somewhat laboured fashion. But Miss Philura interrupted him. Do you think it is pretty? she demanded, her head on one side, an unsuspected ghost of a dimple peeping at him from one corner of her lips. Does it look like me? Mr. Pettibone gazed tranquilly at Miss Philura. He thought her very sweet and good, and he was glad she was coming to live in the desolate parsonage. Gladder indeed, than he had ever hoped to be in his bereaved life. Does it? repeated Miss Fuliora. How, inquired the minister with his deep wise smile, could any sort of a gown look like you? He paused to survey once more Mrs. Van Duser's outworn gown, so munificently bestowed upon the dearest little woman in the world. Then he smote his knee with a convincing gesture certainly not he said decidedly by no means it is too dark and heavy and no i don't like it he looked appealingly at miss Fuliora. what did she want him to say he wondered 
and had he blundered into the wrong thing i confess my opinion in matters of woman's dress is of very little value he began apologetically perhaps now miss philura had dropped her shining scissors in her lap do you know she said with the air of one who has just made a delightful discovery that is exactly what i thought about it i couldn't bear black and purple for a wedding dress though i dare say i shan't mind wearing it to church and ladies aid afterwards she blushed a delicious maidenly blush under his observant eyes then she leaned forward and touched his hand i want to ask you she said breathlessly do you think god is interested in clothes end of chapter two